Hey, Stephen King is an author of suspense horror books, 49 of them in all, 350 million books sold. Maybe you have seen some of the movies like Shawshank Redemption or Firestarter or uh, The Shining. Or it, if you're freaked out by clowns, maybe that's why. He's an avid Boston Red Sox fan, and so if you read any of his novels, he will work that theme into his novel or his book as he writes. He also struggles with alcoholism, and also, believe it or not, he is an electric guitar player in a not a very good rock and roll band, so if you Google it or look it up on YouTube, you may not want to see it. But he also is an advocate for generosity. And and here's how he came by that. He said he said to himself he was walking along well actually this is how it occurred. He was walking along a country road in Maine and a van hit him and knocked him into a ditch. His legs were so crushed that the doctors considered amputating them. But he managed to pull through. And did you know that he's an advocate of generosity. And, and and the reason why that caught my attention was I was listening to, well, actually I saw an excerpt of his commencement speech at one of the major colleges. And I couldn't believe it. Stephen King, an advocate for generosity? Uh, he he uh, actually was speaking to the graduates at Vassar. And here's what he said. He, he found out that you can't take it with you. And and what it means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the, the, the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans. Like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral. But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at the life's, at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke, and we may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett is going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going to go out broke. Tom Hanks is going to go out broke. Stephen King broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change, and why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it, because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do great for others. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. Stephen King. Now, that almost sounds like Bible, doesn't it? 
that a suspense horror writer, because of landing in a ditch and nearly dying and losing his legs, had to think outside of himself enough to realize what real reality is and what our time on earth should be spent for. The Apostle John writes it this way in a very familiar verse. He says this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God has been extremely generous with us. Now, if you're joining us online this morning and you're following along in the Rooted series, tomorrow we'll start week nine, day one, but we're just finishing up week eight. And, and it has, the question is for this week, this week has been, how does God view money? And so if you followed along in your Rooted, Rooted book, you, you know what, what God thinks. But I want you to realize this, that the more we give, the more we become like God. God gave first. And the positive side of generosity is this, that these rewards primarily involve the impact that your giving has on the lives of other people. That our time, effort, and money should make a difference in the lives of others. And I find extreme satisfaction and fulfillment in making things better and in helping others. And I think you do as well. Here's what Stephen King said, an excerpt of what I just read to you. It says, you have it in your power to do tremendous good to others. Well, you might say, well, if I had Stephen King's money, I could do a lot of good. Well, you don't, and neither do I. But what you do have is relationships and what you have that you can do as much good as you can with what you have. Now, I want to preach to you today my least favorite parable in the Gospels. This is the parable that Chris does not like. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? Probably not. Because I always have misunderstood it, and I still don't think I completely understand what Jesus is saying here. But if you'll turn with me into Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Luke, Dr. Luke, tells this story, a parable of Jesus. That stuck in the disciples' mind because you got to remember that Luke was not an eyewitness. He just recorded what he was told. And I believe this is the only time this parable is written in the Gospels. So here you go. He also said to the disciples, talking about Jesus, there was a rich man who had a manager. And if you'll notice in Jesus' parables, most of the parables he talks about in regard to money, and by the way, Jesus talks about money a lot in Scripture. In fact, he talks the only thing he talks more about in the Gospels than money is the kingdom of God. But in his parables, a lot of times he's always talking about the manager, not the owner. I wonder why. There was a rich man who had a manager, and the charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Well, I'd be upset about that, wouldn't you? 
If you had a money manager or somebody managing your business and wasted your possessions, you'd be mad. And, And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Now, this is a reality gut check for this manager. He knows himself. He's not going to be a ditch digger. He's not that strong. And, and... I'm I'm too proud to beg. He knew rightly who he was. I have decided what to do. In a split second, he knew. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of lie. Now, this is a rebuke for us. In this moment. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, something you probably don't know, and I didn't know up till this point, was managers working for an owner had the right to overcharge or take a commission. In other words, there was a profit margin that they were allowed. And so that's what this manager was doing. He was taking away his commission to make some friends. And and really, the title of, of dishonest really didn't fall well on this manager. He was pretty shrewd, I would say. And in this moment, he was preparing for his future to make friends. Now, I've never liked this parable because I really didn't understand it because I thought Jesus was commending him for dishonesty. Not at all. He is commending him for shrewdness. So this morning, I want you to look at three actions as managers, as Christ followers, followers, that we should do in our lives. And the first one is this, be wise. Jesus condemns the sons of the light, that we are not as shrewd as the sons of the world. Now, in the English Standard Version, the, the title over this, and this is man-made, so I can complain about it because it's not the Word of God. It says, Parable of the Dishonest Manager. And that's okay if you want to title that that. But I prefer, I think, the NIV, in this moment, in this label, the parable of the shrewd manager is better because that's the point. And in this passage, the idea of being shrewd is being marked by clever and discerning awareness. There's nothing wrong in that as a Christian. And you got to remember, and I think that most of our, my audience, as you are watching or watching online today, you're mostly Christian. 
You're mostly disciples of Jesus. You're, you're mostly of the inner circle. You are the church choir, sort of. The audience was Jesus' disciples. And he's, he's telling them that they should be shrewd and good managers. And what he's really pointing out and very pointedly in this parable is this. It's wise to give money to efforts that lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. That is what we need to consider. Our generosity is to be focused. It is to be focused and purposeful. And so we are being told by Jesus that giving to the Lord's work, to eternal work that has eternal re, uh, what am I say? Eternal rewards is a wise investment. Now, I've been around here a while, and as a youth pastor, I, I always was fascinated. As a senior pastor, I'm still fascinated because as new people come into church and as I've gotten to know people, certain people will ask me certain questions about what we do as a church and, and, and specifically in, in regard to our missions and our ministry funding. And I'm always fascinated because they reveal themselves because the ones that have the gift of generosity, and, and we're all called to give, but the ones that have particular gifted in, in the area of generosity are, are looking under the hood, they're kicking the tires, and see if we're using the money that the Lord gives us wisely or not. And I, I always smile because they reveal themselves by their questions. They are very wise because they want to see a return on their eternal investment. Some of you have portfolios. Some of you do not. But, but don't you want to see a return on that investment? The second action not only is to be wise, it's to be trustworthy. To be trustworthy. Look at verses 10 and 12 of this passage. It says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You ever talk to someone and you know that they're bald-faced lying to you? I have this pretty often. It's kind of interesting. And there are telltales of that. But But if they lie to me, I know that they're dishonest in little. They are also dishonest in much because that's what the Bible says. If then you have been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Now, I want you, this is a caveat. So if you haven't invested in the kingdom of God and you've been unfaithful with that kind of wealth, with the money that you've received, then how will you be entrusted with true riches. I want you to think about that. What are the true riches that we're talking about? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? I'm going to make a point here in a little bit about that. Jesus infers that his listeners have been entrusted with someone else's property. And he's speaking to you because what you have is been given to you by God. You, you say, well, Chris, I worked for it. And I said, yes, you have. I hope you have. And I hope you appreciate it. But God has given you the talents and the abilities to gather that wealth, just as he has with me. Now, 
Have you ever worked with a financial planner? I, I do that every once in a while. I don't particularly like them. I've been, uh, uh, I've made some bad investments in my life and I take them personally at times too much. But they will ask, what are your financial goals? How old are you and what are your financial goals? What do you, where do you want to end up? I think those are good questions. I think that we ought to ask them spiritually as well. And then, then this is what we need to think about. Would God say that you're a trustworthy money manager of his resources? Would God say that you are pursuing his goals with the money he has put in your care? That's a heavy question. If you're faithful in the use of money, then you can be trusted with greater things. I found this fascinating. I've really never preached this before because I've really never thought about it in this way. And, and, and here's the deal. You say, well, if I made as much money as Stephen King, then I would be more willing to give a lot away. And if I won the lottery, which I have never played before, by the way, woohoo, no response. If, if I won all the lottery, it's amazing what I could do with all that money. I'll never know, will I? It doesn't matter how much money you make. The question is, are you being trustworthy with what you have? With what you have. And you might say, well, what if I don't do that? I, you know, that's okay. That's your choice. We live in a free world. I, I was talking to a young man this week that used to come to our church. And now he believes something else and he's left the faith. And I had a conversation, a big conversation in a Walmart parking lot. It broke my heart. I said, I've heard you've left the faith. And he said, well, no, not really. And I said, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? He said, yes, but I believe in other gods. Yeah. I read in Hebrews 7 today about once you've tasted and enlightened and you have the Holy Spirit living in your life and you reject him, there's no opportunity for repentance. And I knew I wasn't going to have a, a conversation with this young man that was going to go anywhere because he's going down that road. But, but I do know when you worship other gods other than the God, you are worshiping the person who will kill, steal, and destroy you. And I'm concerned not only for his soul, but for his family and what they are learning and what they're being taught. Now, this... This, I think this is the only time in all the years, in the 40 years I've been in ministry, that I've ever experienced someone do that. And it just, it, it just breaks my heart. Folks, it makes a difference who you call Lord and who you serve. Now, I want you to look at verse 11 of this passage and think about this. What are the true riches? If we make such a big deal about world, worldly wealth, and I think we all have some concern, we all probably have some anxiety in regard of that, to that. But I want you to know this, that when we are faithful in the little that we receive and we give it back to God as he asks, something happens supernaturally and spiritually. And here's, here's what I'm seeing here, that people take off spiritually when they start giving. 
I've seen it over and over and over again. I've experienced it in my own life. I've always tithed, but I, I've never, I, I haven't always tithed into the offering plate, into the offering basket, into the offering box, whatever you want to call it. And I, I, I've seen certain people that were struggling or kids that needed, and I, I gave to that, but I didn't give the whole tithe to the Lord. So I come under. I came under conviction. This is probably twenty twenty plus years ago. Actually, it was in nineteen ninety eight that that this experience twenty five almost twenty five years ago. And I, I, somebody was teaching and made this point, and it just burned me. It made me so mad. And if you're getting mad right now, then then I understand because that's where I was. That's not, I'm given to you, Lord. I don't understand why why can't I direct what I, what I've been given. I'm investing. And I had a moment of truth, and, and, and God said to me, I, I think, not in audible, but in inaudible, he just said, don't you trust me, Chris? I said, okay, Lord. And it still burnt me. I wasn't, I was, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like a reluctant dragon. I mean, God's dragging on me at that moment. And, and in that moment, my life changed at that moment. Because then he could trust me with true riches. So we are told, we are told to uh, be wise, to be trustworthy with what we've received, and also to be devoted, to be loyal to God. In, in verse 13 of this passage, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. There's only one God, and it's not money, and it's not other gods. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said that, and it is so true. So which of the two masters are you devoted to? Which of the two masters is first in your heart? And you've got to realize that you have a choice to make. And we make it all the time. Now, in the Old Testament, maybe you remember the story, and I love the stories of the New Testament. In First Kings chapter 17, you can read about the widow of Zarephath. And Elijah comes through this area, and there is a famine, and this widow is preparing to bake her last loaf of bread for herself and her son. Desperate situation. And along bebops Elijah the prophet. Now he's not handsome, he's bald, he's got, you know, he's he's got furs and he looks like I mean something out of a cave. And he says, "Hey, how about you making me a loaf, a little loaf of bread and then whatever you have in excess, you can use for yourself." What would you do? This widow had a choice. And this is what Elijah said to her. Now, now there are a lot of shaman in religion. There's a lot of con men. They're on TV. There's a lot of health and wealth. But here is a moment where this person is so desperate, at, and we're talking about her last meal and for her son. And this is what Elijah says to her. He says, For thus the Lord says, Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. 
Now, I get emails all the time. In fact, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Uh, apparently, I was asking some of you all for gift cards on Facebook. And some of you asked me, hey, if you're so desperate, just call me. I'll give you cash. Good to know. No, I didn't even have anybody say that to me, really. But doesn't that sound like a con? But it wasn't. And what did God do? Throughout that whole time, that widow prepared a loaf of bread for Elijah and then a loaf of bread for herself, and it did not run out. But the idea was that you devote yourself to God first. That's our number one person, the God of gods. So let me ask you, how do you give your money? How do you give your money? I heard this story this last week. Three Christian guys talking about giving. One Christian guy said, you know, I get my check, I cash it, so I have cash. I draw a large circle around me. I throw my money up in the air, and whatever lands in the circle is God's. Everything outside is is mine. Another guy said, yeah, you know, I use the same concept. I draw a circle around myself. I throw the money up in the air, and whatever lands in the circle is mine, and whatever's outside the circle is God's. Third guy said, I got you beat. I have more faith than you do. So I do the same thing. I cash my check. I I get cash. And I throw it also up in the air. But I trust God that whatever is his, he'll hold on to. And whatever falls to the ground is mine. Man of faith. Pretty impressive. Here's, I just want to share this with you. Three priorities to look for in a church or organization before you give. These are, how do we practically live this out? First of all, look at the mission. What are they about? And and what do they live out? Not only what do they say, but what do they live out? At the end of every service, Dan or I, we say this. The church is now leaving the building to guide people home, leading them to a loving father, caring family, and life-changing faith because we believe the Bible, love others, seek God first, and share Christ. If you look that up in Scripture, we don't put a tagline of Scripture on it, and that's kind of funny because we are a Bible-believing person. We, we tagline Bible, Scripture on everything. But that's actually the Great Commission, Matthew 28, at the very end, verses 19, 20, and 21. It says, Jesus said this, very last words, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, guiding people home. That's our mission. Now, the question is, and, and some of you are here for your first time, and some of you have been here for a little while, never joined the church. Some of you have been here long, way longer than I have. In fact, uh, hey, you know, Jean Nugent is our oldest member in this church. She turns 100 this week. Is that right, Mary? 100 years old. They didn't think I would remember. I can remember Jean when I first came in 1988, 
and we were doing a Friday night program, and she had these other friends who've all passed on, and and they called themselves the Golden Girls. Now, if you're if you're not if you weren't born before 1988, you don't know what that is. But it was a bunch of retired ladies that were serving God, and they called them the Golden Girls. And Jean is the survivor of that group, and we miss Mary and Dorothy that were with her. And and Jeannie, we, we celebrate you and your birthday today, and thank you for your faithfulness, devotion, and wisdom. Mission. Jean believes in our mission. She's been around a while. You might say, well, Chris, you didn't celebrate my birthday. Hey, are you 100? No. Check out the mission. Staffing. I've had several people come to me and say, you know, Chris, this is the best staff we've ever had in our church. And uh, by the grace of God, I mean, I worship on Sunday morning. It's a positive worship experience focused on God. Dan does a great job. His team does a great job. We're blessed of God. We, we CJ in student ministry does great work. Uh, if you were here on Country Day, we we had you know, three or four generations on stage. The youngest kid was seven years old. And if we would have had a three-year-old that could dance, sing, or tell a joke, they'd been on stage. But we had 80-year-olds on stage because we're a multi-generational church. John, children's minister, our technology, what you see, you know, technology-wise, podcasts. If you're online, it's thanks to John, our children's pastor who does our, our, our technology. That happens because of him. If you're visiting the hospital, it might be me, but it's most likely Mark. And if you're a new guest, Mark's probably going to come see you. That's our pastoral care guy. He does a great job. Mark's the only guy on staff that can live outside the county, outside of Brazil, and be more of a Brazilian and a Clay Countyan than the rest of us. I mean, he knows everyone and their dog and their grandma and how they're related. Does a great job. Great staff. But we have to pay them. Preschool. We have a preschool director. Got to pay him. Our office manager and our, our uh, receptionist, got to pay her. Got an assistant. We got maintenance. We got all kinds of stuff. Great staff. Worthy of hire and pay. You've got to earn an income. So do we. You know, when we go to the grocery store, we get go, go through the grocery line. It costs more money. I bought distilled water this last week. It used to be 99 cents. Now it's a dollar 30, 30 something. I don't know. 30% increase. We still have to pay it. So do they. So you want a great staff, you got to pay them so they can survive, take care of their families and do give to the Lord just like you do. That's an organizational priority for us. And finally, accountability. Uh, Are we accountable? I, I tell you, our missions team, our ministry team who handles the finances for this church, they are shrewd. Let me tell you that. They're not dishonest, but they are shrewd. The chain of custody of what is given in the offering boxes, it goes through a series of people, and the same person that collects does not not write the checks, and it goes through, and, and two people collect the offering. They take it down. They place it. They count it. They place it in a safe. It comes out. Somebody else counts it, verifies it. It is deposited. Somebody else accounts for that deposit and writes the checks that pay for what goes on around here. 
That's how it works. There's a chain of custody so that there's no possibility of embezzlement. I love that about Christian churches. Every Christian church has been financially responsible that I have been in. That sets us apart. And that is so very important that there is faith and trust in what goes on around here. So when you think about organizations, and I give my first tithe to the church, I give an offering to the church, I do it via my uh, uh, electronic account from my bank, so the church gets all the money, it, it's not discounted by some, some other organization that's a, a midway point. I give to other organizations, I think, that that demonstrate their mission and their investment into the community and to the kingdom of God. And, and I would encourage you as well, because it's changed my life. It's life-changing. If you don't, then are you receiving the true riches that God wants you to receive? That's a choice that you need to make. Will you please stand as I close in prayer tonight, today? Eternal Godfather, we're grateful for what you do. We are grateful that you gave first. And Father, you are indeed worthy of all glory and praise and honor. And Father, we thank you for the ability to earn and to work and to invest. And we're thankful for what we receive. And Father, we just pray that we might be great managers, that we would please you in every way. And and first of all, and most of all, Father, I pray that those that need to invest their life in your kingdom, that they need to know that salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, only are we saved by your grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works, Father, that others might know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May our investment of our life, of our resources, of our talent have a return that will ring on eternally. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?